And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. I'm very happy to be here. I'm very proud to be the new head coach for Brighton. For my football idea, it's very, very important to attack with many players. Hello there. Welcome. Welcome back to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Ali Maxwell. On this week's episode, we'd like to talk about the Premier League's newest manager, and that is Roberto De Zerbi, who takes over from Graham Potter at fourth-placed Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, he is a great topic for us, someone whose tactical approach at Sassuolo and Shakhtar Donetsk caught the eye of, of football tactics enthusiasts, dare I say it, many of you listening, uh, and perhaps like Potterball, it has its own moniker, Deserbismo. Uh, so, I'm joined with two very well-placed experts to discuss Deserbi. James Horncastle is back on the pod. Hello, James. Good to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you. How are you? Yeah, great. Uh, obviously, been quite busy with this story. Premier League never sleeps in some <laughs> respects, and certainly the cross-pollination between Serie A and uh, English football uh, continues apace. So, uh, yeah, excited to see what uh, Roberto brings in his in his first season in England. Busy with this and, and busy covering Serie A in general, I dare say, because, uh, you know, to start the season, we have five points between seven teams uh, at the top of the table. Juventus in eighth place and or in turmoil, depending on how seriously you take that. Uh, it feels from a neutral's perspective, or, or rather in a sort of ignorant observer's uh, perspective, to have been a pretty fascinating start to the Serie A season. Yeah, it's picked up really where it left off last year. Um, I mean, if we zoom out a little bit, yeah, there have been three different winners in Serie A in the last three seasons. OK, it's the big three. It's Juventus under Sarri, Inter under Conte, and Milan under Pioli. But... You know, I wrote about this on the site this week. You know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that we have a fourth different winner because Juventus and Inter, as you mentioned, feel like they are in turmoil. And whenever there's dysfunction and inefficiency at uh, the big clubs, it allows someone else to steal in. And uh, yeah, I think that's what Milan did last year. Uh, They were worthy winners, but... Very few people expected them to win the league last year. And you wonder if if maybe Napoli and even Atalanta um, can do the same this year. Well, joining James and myself is Liam Tharm. Uh, Liam, you are obsessed with tactics. Those are your words, not mine. Uh, You're also a Brighton fan and a former employee of the club. So uh, certainly falling under the umbrella of well-placed for this week's topic. Uh, are you excited about the appointment of De Zerbi off the back of what must have been a disappointing departure of former manager Graham Potter to Chelsea? Yeah, I'm really excited. The The club in terms of sort of Tony Bloom, uh, the chairman and Paul Barber, the CEO, they've spoken about sort of now going through this period where we've had that sort of style transition um, and we're now trying to consolidate and sustain. Um, and I think a real good sort of marker for it is the club have been very open about wanting to be a top 10 Premier League team and sustain that. So I think for sort of setting our, our standards of where we want to be, uh, this looks like a really, really 
really fun appointment. Uh, James, what was your initial reaction to, to hearing that Brighton first were interested in talking to Roberto De Zerbi and then uh, choosing him as their man going forward? What's your, your instincts knowing a lot about De Zerbi and, and about Brighton, the Premier League as well? Excited um, because, you know, I followed his career, you know, over the last decade, really, um, from, from the beginning. And he had to start at the kind of bottom of the football pyramid because he didn't have the playing career that would get him a top job early. So, for example, you see Pirlo getting the Juventus job as his, his first opportunity. Dezebi had to really start with Dash Football Adio um, and then Fodger. Um, and, you know, even and these Fodger, are, just, are we talking, you know, League Two equivalent, National League, League, you know, what's the English football pyramid? Certainly with, certainly with Dash Football Adio. You know, really at the bottom of the the, the football pyramid. Um, you know, Fodger were in the third division um, at the time, and you know, Fodger itself. There's a romance about that club because it's always been a laboratory for wild attacking football. Um, you know, back in the '90s, that was Zenit Zeman and his four-three-three. Um, they got promoted. They played really exciting. Uh, football in Sidia, which was considered countercultural at the time. Uh, Zeman was a kind of fellow classmate of uh, Arrigo Sacchi at Coveciano, which is Italy's kind of Ivy League coaching school. And they were both iconoclasts. You know, they didn't want to play with a back three uh, and a sweeper and, you know, look to basically play with a low block and counter-attack. You know, they wanted to dominate the game. They wanted to take the game to their opponents and they wanted to attack and keep attacking even when they were 1-0 up. And so, yeah, Dezerbi, even when he was at, at Foggia, you know, there were, you'll find YouTube clips of his, his football there, um, analysis of his football there. It was already attracting a lot of attention. And it was from there that he got the opportunity he did at Palermo because there was a feeling that he was the, not next big thing, but certainly he was someone who was exciting and catching the eye. And Palermo were prepared to take chances on managers like that just because the managerial job came up so often at Palermo because Maurizio Zamperini, the former owner, used to sack managers every every three weeks. And you know, I, I, there's been some attention on Dizerbi having seven clubs in in five years or five clubs in seven years. I can't remember which way around it is. I think it's that way. But um, you know, the the first job he took at Palermo was kind of a free hit, really. In that, um, yeah, it doesn't matter how badly or how well you do, you know you're going to get sacked just because the manager might not like the fact that you didn't call him after a game or you didn't answer the phone when he was basically telling you to change your system or whatever. His, his other job in the top flight was with Benevento and Benevento were dead and buried when he took over. It was just a chance for him, I think, to attempt to pull off Mission Impossible but also show what he was capable of in the league and did enough to to get the Sassuolo job which I think is where he became a little bit more mainstream than than he had been up until now so the prospect of seeing someone who is part of this new wave of Italian football and as I said countercultural from you know the traditions of uh, of Italy is uh, is exciting because I think the ZB very much falls into a category of players who came through at the time of Saki and Zeman but also at a time when players were getting more exposure to leagues outside of Italy and their reference points are Pep Guardiola, Bielsa, Kike Setien, um, rather than what had always been the case, which is Italians look within the league itself for their role models. They're often disciples of a Trapattoni, a Lippi, 
Um, if it's not an Italian, it's a, a foreign manager who'd worked in the league like Sven-Goran Eriksson. Um, and so to see De Zerbi have the courage of his convictions and want to play this style, which has been quite polarizing in Italy, and we'll get to that, has been, yeah, it kind of makes this really fascinating. Whenever we've spoken to you on this podcast, and often it's been about Italian managers and understanding where they've come from, I'm always struck by the fact that Italian football seems so much more it seems to give young managers and particularly managers who start in the third fourth tier much more scope for upward mobility uh, to actually reach Serie A whereas English football it's very difficult to do that I mean Potter I think was the last manager hired uh, into the Premier League from the EFL and that was some years ago now it's very very rare but also you know you talk about the fact that in terms of pure results Things haven't always been easy. It hasn't just been one straight upwards curve for De Zerbi. Does Italian football also have a better ability to sort of sift through different parts of management and understand better what makes a manager with potential to move upwards in terms of the pyramid, even if the the results aren't the the sole dictator of that? I think there are a few things to consider from that. Um, One is there's a lot of pride in Italy about their ability to educate uh, coaches. Um, And that is why if you look at the, the demographics of you know Italian coaching, coaching in Serie A, Serie B, you know, for the most part, it is 89 90% Italians who are coaching. Um, and if it's not, it's people like Ivan Juric, Sinisa Mihailovic, Tiago Motta, players who'd played in Italy uh, uh, for the most part of their careers. And, you know, it's been quite interesting following the reaction to De Zerbi getting the job at Brighton back in Italy because, you know, one of the, the comments has been the Premier League is dominated by coaches who come from outside of England. And if you look at Italy, Serie A is dominated by local native coaches and maybe Serie A needs to broaden its horizons. But at the same time, I would say that at a time when Serie A has lost competitiveness in in Europe because its big clubs have been dysfunctional, there's this wealth gap between them and the rest, it has continued to export really good coaches um you know you only have to look at that statistic about the premier league which is the national the nationality that has won the most premier league titles is italy and you know i I think because there was always this higher and fire results-based mentality it has meant that lots of italian managers have got lots of opportunities early and that there is no stigma in getting sacked you'll get another opportunity for the most part and that has has kind of helped i think in in deserbi's case he got the perfect next step after Palermo and Benevento which is Sassuolo and you know Sassuolo is a small town club you know even a village club um if it's it's still remarkable that this is they've been in Serie A for a decade now they've punched well above their weight but there's no pressure there's no expectation around Sassuolo and it allows a manager to work in peace to develop his ideas away from the bright lights away from the scrutiny of the media um it allows players to develop as well uh, in a comfortable environment. And, you know, I mean, that's something that Dizelpi kind of said, like these players really need to push themselves because we're not playing in front of sellout crowds. We've got, you know, we can't even sell out our own ground. So the players, they can be a bit casual. But I think that has enabled him to develop his own identity um, and and realise it on the football pitch. And I think that's ultimately, you know, what's appealed to Shakhtar and subsequently Brighton. 
Mm, being able to to show some of these ideas and principles at Shakhtar on the European stage uh, will have been a, a big step for him. James, I think one question Brighton fans and sort of Premier League centric fans will have um, is sort of about Italian football in general and how sort of I know a league doesn't always have a set style, but there seems to be certain styles and leagues that are more dominant or more feasible. How comparable do you think they are, uh, sort of the Premier League stylistically to sort of Syria um, and the the transfer that we might then see. The Premier League has this opinion of itself as the most intense league in the world, you know, in terms of it's up and down, it's uh, physical, not necessarily in that the players are bigger, harder, stronger than elsewhere, but in the kind of aerobic intensity of the, of the Premier League. Yeah, I think in Italy, there are different degrees of intensity. I think Serie A has the opinion of itself as being the most tactically intense league in the world, where you have to take on a lot of information, you have to process a lot of information, and that can that challenges players in a different way. It's also intense. It's far more intense from a, would say, a pressure point of view. But if you're if you're a Premier League if you're a Premier League player, uh, even at the biggest clubs. And your team loses a game, you know that you can leave the stadium and there's not going to be a group of ultras waiting for you, running their keys down your car. Uh, they're not going to be kind of outside your house. They're not going to be sending seven pigs' heads to your on your doorstep. So, so mentally, you've obviously I think, not met the Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah, ultras, I was going to say. <laughs> so, so, so mentally, City is, is 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 very intense. I think I still think football is football, and you see it when. You know, Italian coaches go to the Premier League. They have no problem adapting and in enforcing their own style. It's it, you know whether it's successful or not. It, it kind of depends on the circumstances they find themselves in, the personnel that they have. But you know, you can see Conte is as successful in in England as he is in the as he is in Serie A, and likewise, we've seen it with Mancini over the years. We've seen it with Carlo Ancelotti. So, but I I, I think what will be interesting is again Italy. Because it's kind of, I mean, this is one of the historical things. You know, you've got the Alps uh, that yeah between it and Switzerland and France. Um, you've got uh, the Adriatic on one side, the, the Mediterranean on the other. It's it's always felt felt like it's quite insular, and and so they talk about calcio italiano, Italian football, and they talk about calcio europeo, European football, as though. Italy is not part of Europe, as though Italy is separate. And but the Zerbi's kind of football in Italy, I would say, is considered calcio europeo. It's, it's it's more in keeping, more in step with what you see in Germany, Spain, and England. It's what Italian teams should play in order to be competitive in the Champions League, the Europa League, and the Conference League. Although we've just seen Jose Mourinho's Roma win the Conference League playing with a low block and on the counter attack. So, yeah, in terms of assimilating with the Premier League, um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that would be a problem. I, I think one of the things, and, and, and we've seen this, for example, when AC Milan played Salzburg in the, in the Champions League um, a couple of weeks ago. Salzburg obviously play Red Bull football, and they're probably at this moment in time a better exponent of it than RB Leipzig in terms of how intensively they press, how high they come for you. And the reality is that not a lot of teams in Italy are used to playing against that kind of intensity. And so it'll be a very interesting test of De Zerbi's ideas, particularly when it comes to how he really likes to invite teams into his own penalty area. He puts a lot of responsibility, a lot of trust in his goalkeeper and his centre-backs to play through that pressure. But ultimately, these players at Brighton will be used to playing at that intensity, they'll be used to having Man City press them, Chelsea press them. So it, it, in that respect, they'll already be up to speed. It'll be about whether they can execute 
the ideas that Deserby kind of is going to be demanding from them. Has he shown with this, you know, let's touch on these principles, tactical principles in possession, particularly playing out from the back with the goalkeeper and the centre-backs. I mean, from what I've seen, Deserby has been on the extreme end of that uh, as that has become, you know, a very popular way of building up uh, among the elite clubs in Europe. Has that always been the case, even when he was in the lower leagues? Has he become more dogmatic as time has gone on? or even adaptable and, and, and not those are the clips that we're going to see on social media that do the rounds because when they play through, it looks amazing. But is he dogmatic on that front or is he what you might call pragmatic or more adaptable? I think one of the things that Brighton wanted to establish is, is he adaptable? Um, because Potter was, you know, Potter would adjust his game plan depending on how the opponent plays. And, look, you know, Dezerdby, when it comes to his build-up, you know, they will build up with two centre-backs and four. So two plus four, two centre-backs with the full-backs and two midfield players if they're playing against a, a team that has a lone striker. They'll they'll build up with a three and uh, kind of a deep-line playmaker if they're coming up against two strikers. But I kind of think what Brighton wanted to establish is, is he going to go long if needed? I would say he's not going to go long if needed. He's going to double down. He will He will look to play through because he believes that inviting teams onto you and playing through them gives you advantages. It gives you the possibility to have numerical superiority further up the pitch. And, you know, he wants his team to not give the ball away even when they're numerically at a disadvantage. So if it's a 1v2 or a 2v3, he still wants them to try and play through that and not give the ball away. You know, that was one of his principles that he put in his his thesis when he was studying for his pro license at, at, at Coveciano. You know, th- three things. He wants the ball as much as possible. He never wants his players to get rid of it. Play in the opposition half as much as you can and win, win the ball back as, as fast as you can. There's nothing kind of revolutionary about that. These are things we kind of hear that almost every manager, aspiring manager, wants to do these days. But, you know, I, I think it's really interesting when you look at the, the data, and, and I think Liam can get into this, is that over his kind of spell at Sassuolo, his team had more touches in their own penalty area progressively every year. And that is a trend you usually see in teams that are down the bottom of the table because their opponents come onto them, they force them back, and they're having to play in their own penalty area. But it was a choice from Deserby. It, it, it wasn't something they were forced into. And you know, I, I'm really interested to see how Sanchez, um, you know, is able to do what Andrea Consigli did, the goalkeeper. I mean. No one thought that Andrea Consigli, the Sassuolo goalkeeper, was going to become this kind of, I wouldn't say he was a playmaker goalkeeper, a goalkeeper sweeper, but certainly he was asked to kind of read the game in such a way that he would there would, there would never be a big gap between him and his centre-backs. And if that meant that the defensive line was very high, then he was often standing outside of his box. Uh, that he was he was willing to play with courage with his feet that you know and read the play as well so I'm interested to see what Sanchez does there and also the centre-backs because I mean again Gianmarco Ferrari you know not someone you will be known to a lot of our listeners but you know principal centre-back at Sassuolo you know asked to want the ball at his feet um be quick about moving into open spaces um you know which which doesn't mean sort of defend defending wide open spaces but when you've got the ball carry the ball into them and and play out 
So I'm interested to see how Dunk and Webster deal with that because I think um, as much as those guys play with the ball quite a lot already, it's going to be it's going to be a, a more extreme version, I think, of what they've they've been used to. Well, at least they haven't been you know a million miles away from it in in the last few seasons under Potter. I, I mean. As you talked about them having more touches inside their own box year on year, I suspect a reason for that might have been teams denying or trying desperately not to press them too high because they they know that that would be, after a while, you know that's just the trap that they want you to fall into. And, and so maybe having to be even more patient with it uh, in order to, to draw them onto them. I mean, it would be fascinating to see how West Ham United, for example, who have no interest in pressing at the very top of the pitch, it will be interesting to see how they respond to, to a Deserby Brighton side when they uh, take each other on um, out, out of possession is there anything particularly uh, specific uh, specific patterns that we might see from Deserbi's Brighton just win the back, ball back as soon as possible and and when you're when you're trying to do that take your cues from what the intention of the opponent is which is if the opponent is is looking to bear down and goal and score do everything to disrupt and slow him down stop him if the opponent is looking to consolidate possession then in, in, in that scenario look to regroup get organized and back into shape so yeah that's yeah that's more or less the the philosophy but in in, in italy they they talk about they talk a, a lot about le marcature preventive and that is it's 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 when you're on the attack and when you're in the opposition half that you're set up in such a way that if you lose the ball you are already well positioned to win the ball back defend and he is yeah, he was putting fullbacks inverted quite early on wasn't he which has become yeah. common practice and and part of the reasoning for that is basically to defend in transition uh, a little easier yeah so he's he's obsessed with with that getting that absolutely right and you know again in terms of influence with Bielsa and Pep you know they believe that uh, attacking is the best form of defense because if you're high up the pitch you're further away from your own goal you know again you know nothing particularly uh, extraordinary but but yeah he's he's very much off cut from that cloth rather than yeah i mean it, it drives it drives old school italian managers mad <laughs> um, those who are now in the TV studio as, as pundits, because more often than not, they're there to analyse when it goes wrong rather than it rather than it goes right. And they say, "Why aren't you hoofing it, Roberto? Why aren't you kicking it into the stands? What are you doing?" Um, and you know, he just yeah, he believes that this is uh, this is the best way for your team to to gain an advantage. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I think the last point on this, his whole ethos is he believes it's 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 a holistic way of playing in that if you play out from the back it means you have to be technically good enough to play out from the back so we're going to work with you to improve your technique and that's going to make you a better player if you play out from the back it means you're taking responsibility because you're taking a risk to accept that risk and accept that responsibility so that's going to make you more of a leader more well-rounded as as a person not only as a player and if you succeed doing this and play out play out from the back and cut through a team you're going to feel really good about it it's going to build your confidence it's going to build your self-esteem and overall it's a net positive because you know you're becoming a better player you're becoming a better character and you're winning so you know, that's why he thoroughly believes in what he does uh, I was going to ask lastly before we turn our attention to the Brighton squad and 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 what he'll be met with uh, or what he has been met with as he uh, takes his first few steps there with the the style uh, the approach the principles you've spoken a lot about why why he does it and his his strong beliefs that it's the right way to play 
to win football matches. Is there an aesthetic aspect to this as well? Is there any anything to do with the romance of football and, and playing in a certain way for the fans or aesthetically? Or is Deserbi ultimately, you know, is this f- about function? Is this about winning football matches? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't like uh, to be kind of characterized as a philosopher, as a purist. But, you know, he believes that um, in this, this kind of holistic approach, which if you take it beyond the players, if, if you're playing a style of football which is technical, which is skill-based, which is attacking, the fact the players won't just enjoy playing it, the fans will enjoy watching it and it'll create a really good environment um, that, that in itself should help build momentum and become self-fulfilling in, in delivering wins and maybe trophies. But, you know, he is... I mentioned how polarising his football is in Italy um, because, you know, we had a culture war kind of start in, in, in his second season. It, it coincided with Massimiliano Allegri's last season at Juventus. And, you know, there was a, a former player who's kind of the closest equivalent to Gary Neville on Sky Italia, a guy called Lele Adani. And Adani is, is very kind of pro to He believes that because it's in step with modern football trends, this is the route that Italian football needs to follow in order to progress and evolve. And so he talks about, you know, South American influences and how important they are and and, uh, how important it is to look at Bielsa and Pep for for our reference points and not the Italian coaches of the past. I think this has led to this kind of uh, perception of De as being presumptuous and that's robbed some people the wrong way. You know, they say, what's this guy ever won? You know, he's only coached small teams apart from, you know, obviously when he got the, the offer to go to Shakhtar why does he have this profile uh, it feels disproportionate but you know as you know, Leonardo DiCaprio says in Inception you know the, the most powerful thing in in, in the world is an, is an idea and Deserbi's ideas are in, in, in some respects more important more influential than a trophy that has been won by a team that's played in such a way that's kind of forgettable so he spends time with with Pep we've seen that um, you know when he was starting out his coaching career he would made the journey up to the Dolomites where Bayern were in prison training camp so he could watch Pep's Bayern train, learn from it. He was recently at the City football campus with some members of his staff. Um, he's, yeah, I mean, I think it's quite interesting that he's, since leaving Schechter, he's looked to refresh his staff, modernise, update. So he's he's in step. He's brought people in who feels that can keep him current, can can kind of reinforce his ideas. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, fundamentally there is an aesthetic to it and I, I think we, we have seen with you know Mancini's Italy and the success that they had which is Italy winning in a way that they've never never won before and and, and because they've never won playing that way before before Mancini did it people thought Italy can't win that way and so to see Italy win that way it kind of validates Deserbi's ideas and says that you know yeah maybe there is Maybe we should be getting behind this guy because you know he is proposing a style of football that could be successful uh, for Italy. So, so yeah, it's it's he's a, he's a fascinating figure, really. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Call one eight hundred Directv. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Liam, a style of play that seems out of step with the club that the manager is coaching, uh, admired by Pep Guardiola very openly, um, questioned by some with things like, what has he won? Or he's only taken them from exposition to exposition. It It's pretty reminiscent of Graham Potter. <laughs> yeah, I think you could quite easily. Um, well, we have seen, haven't we, those, those same things applied, which uh, is is a good thing to some degree in the sense that there's obviously that match. Um, I think Tony Bloom described it as having the right cultural and tactical fit, um, which seemed to sort of summarise that quite nicely. But I think there also needs to be the consideration that this is now different task to what he had at Sassuolo and different to what Potter had when he came in at Brighton, that this style overhaul doesn't need to occur. Um, it's a case now of can you consolidate um, and, and sort of hold a team up there. Do you think that Brighton um, and the, the sort of mystery, if you will, that surrounds Brighton is everyone knows Tony Bloom is a is a data-led genius um, and that sometimes obscures how things actually get done at Brighton and Hope Albion. With your knowledge of the club and its decision-making, do you think, yes, this would have been heavy, heavily data-driven? You know, Will they have some spectacular manager models that spit out long lists and short lists? I'm intrigued, but to some degree, of course, data is very much sort of Bloom's expertise from, from his gambling sort of background. Um, and I'd imagine he uses that to do a lot of the legwork in terms of sort of profiling managers or sort of keeping tabs because I imagine he's a very busy man and can't be watching sort of 10 to 15 different games on a, on a weekly basis um, of, of sort of different managers. But I think as we've sort of covered here and, and James has sort of very, very interestingly 
explained and this has been fascinating to listen to about sort of the uh, the tactical uniqueness and the identity that comes with it and that was a real big point they made when they brought Potter in initially was we want to change the style of play so I imagine this would be as much a tactical um, appointment as it would be anything that sort of the, the data indicates. Do you think that from what you've heard James explain about De Zerbi's philosophies, his principles, do, do you think that Brighton as a club, as a fan base, as a squad seem ready for that in in good shape for that comparative to other you know clubs that Deserbi could walk into yeah I'd, I'd like to hope so I think his sort of Champions League experience is really really massive and that's not to sort of be um underrated or sort of undervalued here uh, at all I know he spoke about having other options in so, sort of Italy when he, he could have stayed there but chose to sort of take this step out which I think is is really quite cool uh, and really probably deserves a, lo- a lot more praise for. That was one of the things that really Potter had as, as a big um, sort of string to his bow was the fact that he went out to Sweden and, and sort of went abroad. Um, so I, I think that's really important. And then sort of goes to further explain about the number of clubs he's had in recent years, which is a sort of weird stick to almost beat him with. I've, I've seen from some that, you know, he's, he's almost not stayed long enough, but I think that's perfectly fine when you sort of look at the success. And um, Paul Barber had a sort of a very good answer to that when he was sort of quizzed about it, saying that you look at what he's achieved at these clubs um, he's done probably for the most part as good as he could have done um, or, or sort of taking them to, to more success and it's now it's now a case here yeah, of, of your job I suppose is different to what he's had previously in sort of Italy and maybe more akin to sort of a Shakhtar of you've got more of the pieces sort of put together now uh, the squad is in the best place it's sort of ever been from a Brighton perspective they've brought the average age down massively um, under sort of not just Potter's tenure because this was Dan Ashworth as well um, and of course Graham Potter was not solely responsible for, for the transfers um, and they've within that have brought in a lot of players now that are at international level so one of the great points Andy Naylor made in sort of one of uh, his pieces on this is that he's going to inherit a great squad and it's probably a good time to come in because the day of recording he's got 10 days until we play Liverpool um, but quite a few players are going to be missing because they'll be away sort of international but that's also a product of being successful, right? In that you have good players, their national teams sort of want to play. And you, you go back to sort of 2018 uh, in our debut Premier League season, I think we had three players go to the World Cup and you're looking at having sort of seven or eight now, all of which will be under 25, Barlio Trossard, um, which is, I think, a real indicator of how we have sort of moved along as a club as well. I just always laugh at the, this manager has never won anything line, partly because there aren't that many trophies to go around, to be honest. And it's, and it's really hard to win them when there are teams like Juventus or Man City or uh, PSG, whatever it might be. And also, no one's ever won a trophy until the moment that they lift their first trophy, at which point does that, does whatever point you were trying to make just vanish and, and, and suddenly you turn... I remember it with people used to say about Klopp before Liverpool won things. Now, of course, he had won the Bundesliga with Dortmund, but you would still hear the occasional... Well, he doesn't. He's not good at you know. He's not as good at getting over the line and w- winning those trophies. He just suddenly. Yeah. And, and also this whole notion of it's our league. It's different. And 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 the reality is the Premier League. There's, there's very little that's English about the Premier League. We, we've talked about the athleticism, the physical intensity. Yeah, that is something that distinguishes it. But the reality is most of the managers are foreign. Most of the players are foreign, and they all come from other places. Where so it, you know. It, yeah. Yeah, fo- football, yes, there are different accents on it, different interpretations and all that sort of thing. But it fundamentally is the same game. Yeah, it's been pretty pretty pliable, hasn't it, really, to those coming in from, from the outside. I mean, Liam asked about the sort of translation between Serie A and the Premier League, but Pep came from, well, from Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Klopp came from the Bundesliga. Conte, uh, even Mourinho, you know, back in, in 2004, coming from Porto 
go back to Wenger, it, it has been pretty pliable for elite managers, no matter where they are from or, or where they previously managed. Uh, Liam, just looking at the squad, uh, the, the Brighton squad, uh, we like to play a game of good news for, bad news for when a new manager comes in. In terms of this Brighton squad, for who is De Zerbi's appointment good news? Probably most of the squad is a, is a very short answer. Um, we've spoken about how it's evolved and how the style massively suits them. I think in particular and right now, Alexis McAllister and Moises Caicedo is the two players really that have been in in sort of a double pivot, if you like, akin to what James was saying about how they build up with sort of a, a back four with, with the two fullbacks and then those those two deeper midfielders. Those two have been excellent doing that since Caicedo really has, has come into the Premier League. Um, and that's also been part from Alexis McAllister being, I don't say retrained, but he's just dropped a bit deeper. He was sort of signed and um, viewed, at least by me anyway, I might have got this wrong, but more of sort of a, a number 10. Um, is now someone that plays a bit deeper. I think it's sort of the, the number five role now that he plays um, in, in South America, they would, they would describe it. So for those two, in particular I think they'll really suit the the ball playing style as will the central defenders it might be bad news for one or two of them because we've played a three a hell of a lot um sort of recently and I know that from what I've looked at and, and researched De Zerbi has had more success with a four that's sort of been the golden thread seeing how sort of tactically complete he is I don't think he's tied to that entirely but it wouldn't surprise me to see him maybe go with the sort of shape that's brought him success elsewhere so maybe that means someone like Joel Veltman misses out but as James is sort of touching on with uh, with Duncan Webster, Webster in particular, um, a really good carry the ball, really good pass off both feet. Dunk maybe a bit better at playing those longer passes that don't quite seem to be um, so deserving like. And again, with, with sort of Sanchez, as, as James was saying, it'd be interesting to watch him. An immensely good distance kicker in terms of he could almost land a ball on like a five pence somewhere in the opposition half. Um, which has been more of a tactic where Brighton sort of built up short, sort of bait the press and then go long. So whether, you know, he, he completely removes that, we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, so it, it's a case then, yeah, of, of seeing where I suppose the strengths of certain players fit um, in regard to then overhauling the style. James, it's kind of understanding to focus on goalkeeper, centre-back and the defensive midfield players and focus on how good are you at holding onto the ball when the pressure's really on and, and how how well can you both keep it and progress it through through tight spaces but just at the top end of the pitch I'm interested to know across the teams that Deserbi has coached who tends to score his goals what sort of players what sort of areas on the pitch are the goal scorers you know, I'm looking on his transfer marked page now you've got four players across his career that have scored at a better than one in three rate Pietro Yemelo, Yemelo. Domenico Berardi uh, Francesco Caputo and Vincenzo Sarno. So um, is there a common thread there or do goals come from all over with, with De Zerbi like they did under Potter? Depends on personnel. Uh, I mean, you get goals from centre-backs, from set-pieces when Demiral was, was, was playing. But, I mean, the style of football... Uh, gets the best out of skillful and technical players. And, you know, as much as we focused on the goalkeeper and the centre-back so far, you know, some of the players who've really benefited from playing under Tizebi are Manuel Locatelli. You know, Locatelli was kind of lost and disillusioned after breaking through at AC Milan. And Tizebi recognised that he works best in a double pivot. And, yeah, it doesn't just want his midfielders to take the ball off the centre-backs. He wants them to get between the lines as well, wants them to pick up goals. Um, but, you know, I mean, another thing that really kind of boosted Tizebi's profile was the fact that this tiny team all of a sudden was supplying more players to the national team than anybody else. And that was Biradi. It was Raspadori. So Biradi is, you know, someone who's an inverted winger, uh, plays on the, the right, he's left-footed, um, 
and he would tend to be their, their main goal scorer. Raspadori is someone who can play across the forward line, played off the left last year, but he can play off a striker as well. And there was a staggering percentage of their goals that were scored from open play. Not a team dependent on set pieces, not really a team dependent on penalties. Um, you know, I mean, that's something we've seen boom in Serie A over the last few years with the introduction of VAR. But I think one of the interesting things with Dezerbi is he is you know, one of his acolytes, well, not acolytes, one of his peers in Italy, Ivan Juric um, at Torino, said, you know, one of the things I like about Roberto is he manages to convince the owners of whatever club he's working for to buy the, buy the players that he wants. And we've often seen take one player from an old club to his new club. You know, that, and that was the case with the Brazilian centre-back Marlon. He went from Sassuolo to Shakhtar. It's, if you go further back, Filip Juricic, the kind of socks down number 10 who can play out wide. You know, he went from Benevento to Sassuolo as well. So I'm interested to see what input and how much he can influence recruitment at uh, Brighton. He's very active when it comes to, and very specific when it comes to recommending players. Um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Sassuolo, for example, Maxime Lopez, the kind of diminutive playmaker um, that they have in midfield, again, very specifically wanted by Dizerbi. And yeah, I suppose when you've got so many gifted technicians on, 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 on your team, if your technique's that good, you can get goals from pretty much anybody. I think the other, the final point on this is, is, is another thing that appealed to Brighton is he improves players. And when you improve players, they catch other, other club, the eyes of other clubs. And I think he'll be, if he's, if he's successful and he's there for the, the mid to long term, there'll be other Cucurellas that they sell for big money because you know, that's something that he did really well at Sassuolo. They bought Stefano Sensi for 5 million, sold him for 25, Locatelli for 14, sold him for 40, Jeremy Boga for 10, sold him for 22, Demiral for 8, sold him for 20. So he's someone who, yeah, if there's this, if there's, I mean, I think Moise Caicedo already has a lot of interest, but I think that interest will continue and will, will percolate even more with Dezerbi. Um, and I, I, I think that's another aspect. You know, as much as people focus on Brighton data, I think they're very interested in kind of a, 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 someone, a coach's emotional intelligence, their, their ability to articulate what they want to a player, get them to buy in. And if they buy in, they will improve. And if they will improve, they'll get better. And if they get better, their value will go up and boom. Liam, there's so much that, that you have to bear in mind when hiring a manager um, f- from what we think we know about Brighton and Hove Albion and from what we've heard about Roberto De Zerbi, it, it does seem like a very obvious fit or, or at the very least you can understand why what De Zerbi is offering attracted Brighton quite so much. Yeah, for sure. I think the player development part is one of the most valuable and probably the most missed part quite easily. Um, it's very easy to obviously sit there and pick apart the uh, the tactical side of things and, and rightly so, but this is ultimately what Brighton's success has been underpinned on recently. Um, it's been picking up players, uh, you know, recruiting well from different parts of, of the world. I'm sure if you looked at a map and sort of put a pin on every country, you'd you'd cover sort of most of the globe. It's It's been quite frankly ridiculous. You go, just how do you find all these players? It's an alarmingly good hit rate. I had a look through Transfer Marks and saw he gave 24 um, Serie A debuts last at Sassuolo and that was just to players age 23 or younger, which for like eight a season is, you know, I can't imagine he's just, you know, sort of handing these out to be tokens either. These are genuinely to integrate players into sort of a, a good style of play and, and that's been um, really really valuable so to have that success and to do things tactically with a developing squad I mean I don't think we've mentioned it yet but like this guy himself is quite a young manager he's one of the youngest in the Premier League and the average age is is sort of dropping um, I think it was over 50 sort of four or five years ago for managers now you're looking at quite a few being in the low to mid sort of 40s so 
that again, I doubt he's the complete version of himself yet. He's probably got a hell of a long way to go. And despite sort of still being young, he's had what a decade's worth of, of coaching experience at elite professional level, which I think just goes to show how good he must be. So they've been employed in those jobs early um, and to, to try things, get things wrong. And it's probably a good time for Brighton now to have him because he's gone through different projects and different clubs. He's more further along his journey than what you know other managers might be or say what Potter was um, sort of three, three years ago when, when we had him then. For an ambitious manager, James, it's not just the opportunity to work in the Premier League, which, as we know, absolutely loves itself, but also to work for a club whose previous head coach was just appointed by Chelsea. Yeah, that's it, Ali. And uh, I think you you kind of touched on a nerve there with uh, within Italy um, because, yeah, again, some of the reaction to this appointment is uh, if you just hung around a little bit longer I'm sure a big club would have come in for him in Italy the reality is that being in the Premier League is huge for exposure for challenging yourself you mentioned Potter's kind of trajectory but I mean you can look at Pochettino as well Poch comes in at Southampton gets a Tottenham job and um, and frankly uh, it's where the best managers want to, in the world want to be uh, if you look at Conte right now there isn't a club in Italy that has the budget that Tottenham has uh, to, 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 to kind of give him the possibility to shape a team, be competitive. And so so in that respect, I think it, it makes a, a lot of sense. I, I just hope Potter probably spoke in the past about his degrees in kind of emotional intelligence and all this sort of thing. Obviously, he's a native English speaker. He's able to communicate, articulate his ideas, get him across. I think that will be a challenge for Dezerbi. You know, he spoke some English in the press conference. He would give stock answer in English and then lean on the interpreter. I think that's going to be really kind of crucial, not just in getting his message across, but making his players want to play for him and and not be questioning, not be sceptical of him. So, so yeah, I'm, uh, I hope it works out. Uh, there's, always a, there's always a risk whenever you make a, a managerial appointment. There's no, you know, apart from Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, there's no real slam dunk guarantee on this. But I think for a person like Deserbi at this stage of his career, the stability at Brighton, how they organise themselves and how they run, it does feel like the perfect stepping stone for him. Um, so I just hope it works out for both of them, really. Deserbismo on the south coast of England. I, I was excited beforehand with little knowledge, uh, even more so now that I've been armed with what's been imparted by James and Liam. Thank you so much both. It's been an absolute pleasure. Make sure that you are reading James on Serie A on the Athletic site. Liam, on all sorts of, of tactical goodness, Andy Naylor be a good one to subscribe to uh, as well on the Athletic app to make sure you don't miss any Brighton news from this point. Uh, and of course, uh, our normal regulars absent this week, Michael Cox and Mark Carey still doing excellent work on there as well. If you're not a subscriber, become one today. Head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics for everything you need on the world of football and American sports as well on the Athletic site and app. And we hope that you're subscribed to this podcast. And if you are, then you can join us again next week look forward to speaking to you then go well the athletic